Hello and welcome to FX Talk, an eBury podcast all about the foreign exchange market, where we break down some of the main news headlines and financial markets and give our take on what these developments might mean for the world of FX. My name is Matthew Ryan, Senior Market Analyst here at eBury. I'm joined as always on the podcast by two of my colleagues, our Chief Risk Officer, Enrique Diaz-Alvarez, and Market Analyst, Roman Zuruk. So the main focus of today's episode will be on the upcoming G3 central bank meetings in the next sort of fortnight or so. Uh, the last couple of weeks have actually, for the most part, been relatively quiet in financial markets. Uh, the major currency pairs have spent much of that time trading within narrow bands. Having said that, we did see a little bit of volatility towards the end of last week following the release of the US payrolls report, which fell short of markets' expectation for the second straight month. Volatility in the FX market may well go up another notch or two, though, in the coming days as the European Central Bank, Federal Reserve and Bank of England all announce their latest policy decisions. And we talked, I think, on our last episode about the increase we're seeing in inflationary pressures globally as both pent-up demand is unleashed and supply struggles to keep up. Activity data as well has actually been broadly better than expected. The latest PMIs in the US and UK, for instance, have surged to record highs as lockdowns uh, are gradually removed. And this has got the market questioning whether or not we may start seeing these central banks normalise policy, perhaps slightly sooner than initially anticipated. We're going to start by talking about Thursday's ECB meeting. Uh, so what do you guys expect from the ECB this week? Do you think we'll see any significant changes in light of this recent improvement in economic data? Um, honestly, I don't think so. I think that the, the ECB is notoriously slow to move in either direction, both hawkish and dovish. Um, I don't think will be, there'll be any changes to the monetary policy settings. Markets are looking at whether the announcement that uh, that uh, this uh, pace of sovereign debt purchases in PEPP is going to be, uh, that was stepped up in, in the last meeting, will be brought down. I don't think... Uh, the ECB is ready to make uh, in that step. I think we'll see some significant positive revisions in the staff projections uh, in the short term, uh, 2021, possibly 2022, upwards in growth and uh, in inflation. Uh, we've seen that the, uh, the flash inflation report for the month of May uh, did surprise somewhat to the upside for the first time in, in many months. Uh, we have inflation, headline inflation at least, at the ECB target for the first time since 2018. That's very significant. And I do think that perhaps the market is expecting some dovish comments from the ECB, uh, intended at least indirectly to push down the euro. And I don't think those, those are going to be forthcoming. I think that uh, uh, the ECB, uh, the, the recovery, uh, the vaccination programs, everything is lagging the United States and they want to give themselves more time to see more data points both in terms of actual uh, growth data and special inflation before they decide where to take policy. And their goal is to essentially punt until the September meeting. And that's what we're going to see. An ECB that tries to, and, and President Lagarde trying to uh, transmit the minimum possible amount of information to the market. Yeah, I, I couldn't really agree more because uh, I think that they are going to acknowledge that the situation is indeed improving, but this this does not 
warrant any change in the monetary policy stance of the ECB at this point, even though we are going to get the new projections. And speaking of those projections, I think that uh, we are uh, quite uh, likely to get the inflation projections revised up, uh, especially for this year and possibly uh, next year, uh, especially considering uh, where the commodity prices are at this point and where they are compared to uh, the levels uh, that served as a reference for the previous projections. Uh, the uh, extent of the changes is probably not going to be as significant as from the previous projections, at least when it comes to the, this year, uh, even you know based on solely on the commodity prices. Uh, however, I think that we are we can probably count on uh, some move here, and the economic situation right now seems to be coming together. I think that. Uh, we could also get some revision to the GDP forecast, but probably not very significant. So I think that they would just want to wait and see. Uh, and uh, in September, they would have a much better idea of how the health crisis is unraveling. And uh, generally, there is some uh, risk in theory uh, of another wave uh, at around that time. So I think it would be, it would, uh, of course, to a large extent depend uh, on the process of vaccinations uh, in uh, in the eurozone, so I think that uh, it it would serve them well to wait uh, till September and see how the situation is going then. Yeah, we we all seem to be on the same page here for this one. I think uh, I, I'm yeah certainly of the opinion. I think the ECB will probably do its best to keep a low profile. Um, certainly, don't expect any sweeping changes to its communications, even though data out. As you both mentioned, of late has been good as lockdowns are eased. The PMI is, for instance, very resilient. Consumer confidence is ticking up. Inflationary pressures are building slightly. Um, so I think I think the guard will at least acknowledge that in a statement. Um, and as you mentioned, I think growth forecasts may even be be revised higher, albeit not by much. Um, the inflation forecast, though, as you as you both mentioned, I think I think that'll be a, an important one. I think if we see a a rather meaningful upward revision to this, combined with perhaps suggestions that you know, slowing the pace of purchases may be on the way when the next projections are released in September, then I think the euro could receive a little bit of support um, towards the end of the week. Okay, I think we'll move on now and talk about our next topic, which is uh, next Wednesday's Federal Reserve meeting, which promises to be a, an equally important one for markets. The impact of, uh, of Fed policy on FX so far this year has been rather mixed. Um, on the one hand, Chair Powell appeared unconcerned with a sharp increase in US bond yields earlier in the year. On the other, however, FOMC members have con- continued to strike a dovish tone on interest rates. Uh, most US rate setters that we've heard from in the past few weeks have stressed that they would look through uh, the recent increase in inflation when deciding on the next policy move. Uh, in fact, there appears a, a general consensus among the Fed that this spike in prices will indeed prove temporary and that rate hikes perhaps won't be required uh, for some time, some time yet. Uh, that being said, uh, one of the main talking points among market participants remains whether the Fed will, uh, or whether the Fed is close to begin discussions on tapering its asset purchase program in response to the recent strong news. And that makes next week's meeting a highly important one for investors who uh, will be looking closely for any indication that tapering in asset purchases may be on the cards anytime soon. Uh, so again, similar question to you both as before. Do you think we'll see any significant changes uh, in, in rhetoric from the Fed next week in light of this strong economic news? 
I don't really think that the situation is currently warranting making any significant moves to the monetary policy in the US or at least, uh, or even the rhetorics referring to the monetary policy. Uh, so I think that they would just probably, as the ECB, wait and see, uh, because this is not the time to make any significant gestures. Uh, they are going to release the new projections, but I don't think that we are going to see a significant revisions there. I definitely wouldn't count on significant revisions to the GDP forecasts as currently they are quite in line with the market and quite in line with what we are seeing in the in the data that we, that we receive. Uh, when it comes to inflation, we could see maybe a, a revision up, uh, but I don't think it will be enough uh, to really change the rhetoric of the Fed that they're going to uh, look through the increase in inflation and that they want to see the unemployment uh, situation uh, across the uh, country and across different demographics to improve enough uh, for them to maybe make some moves uh, in the future. So I think that we are just going to have a rather limited communication, uh, not a word about tapering uh, and uh, maybe a revision to the inflation forecast. Um, my view is actually that the next next week's meeting is going to be much more interesting and important than this week's ECB meeting. And next week we might see some uh, changes in rhetoric, or at least some dissents. I think that overall the, uh, the Chairman Powell will make sure that uh, that the overall communications and and the settings be, stay extremely dovish. But I think that uh, what we're seeing increasingly in the, in the U.S., and I think the payroll report for May is, is, and, and April are clearly signs of this, is that uh, supply constraints are becoming critical. After many, many years after the great financial crisis in 2008, where it was all about demand, about people's willingness to spend, about businesses' willingness, willingness to invest, uh, businesses are having difficulty finding not just the uh, this, the the uh, uh, the supplies they need in the supply chain, but also workers. I mean, we have today the number of job openings in the U.S. skyrocketed. That, that's the, the number of of, uh, of uh, openings where uh, employers are failing to find enough workers. I think that uh, when you combine that with the somewhat disappointing numbers that we've seen out of the job market, while every single demand indication remains strong, uh, you're getting a, a clear picture that. Uh, that, that demand is fast outstripping supply in the U.S., uh, that so far both the, the federal deficit and monetary policy settings are enabling uh, and encouraging that imbalance. Uh, and that's uh, as a direct result. You're seeing very ser- increasingly serious inflationary pressures. Um, I think that overall the majority of the FOMC will still stay on the double side, but I think we're going to see increasingly interesting dissents in in the votes. And uh, if not on the actual press conference, then certainly you'll see some dissents in, or, or some hints of dissents in the speeches that the different officials of the Federal Reserve give. Yeah, and maybe the dots, actually, because probably because yes, of that, the dots might be more, in, more, in, more important. I would, I would, that's an excellent point, Roman. I think that uh, the, the, uh, the, People are, are not paying enough attention to or, or, or are not focused enough on the uh, dot plot where you start to see some significant, while the median will probably not move much, you'll start to see some significant outliers and uh, federal officials that expect that race will have to go faster and higher than is currently priced in. 
I agree, yeah. And I think it's uh, very much an important sort of few months or so for the Fed, not just next week's meeting, but the next uh, sort of upcoming two or three, four meetings will be very important ones. Um, I think the general consensus is that now that we've data out of the US improving, inflation spiking, the Fed will certainly be in a position or possibly be in a position towards the end of the year that we can start thinking about tapering its asset purchase program. Um, but I think next week will, will, will be important to see whether or not discussions are already being had um, as to whether or when that might be. Um, I think judging by recent comments and communications from FMC members, I think that you know, that may well be the case. Um, having said that, I think this will be a gradual process. Um, I certainly don't think that the Fed will, will rush this time around. It won't want to spook the market. I think they'll make sure that they leave a good amount of time in between that's all, talking about tapering and then announcing it, actually beginning the process uh, of winding down asset purchases, and then again, leave a good amount of time before they start raising rates. So I think this is something that we could be uh, talking about for a while and something that could drag on, um, I think, for a number of months. I'm going to mention uh, very quickly the Bank of England as well, um, which perhaps we can talk about in more detail on our next episode. Um, the Bank of England will be meeting in a couple of weeks' time. I think it's Thursday the 24th of June. Uh, the NPC has actually been slightly more hawkish um, than its counterparts of late. Governor Bailey has similarly stated that the rising UK prices are unlikely to persist, but he's also stated that the bank would not tolerate persistently above target inflation. Um, and I think we're all sort of broadly of the same opinion that the, the BOE may well begin normalising policy, perhaps slightly sooner, certainly sooner than the ECB and perhaps even sooner than the Fed. But again, that's one for us to, uh, to talk about, I think, in more detail um, when we next to our, our next episode in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, so I think we'll, we'll end in our uh, usual fashion now and, and end with our spotlight currency section. Um, and that will be a, a, an interesting one this week because we focus on the Peruvian New Seoul. Uh, New Seoul has been the worst performing EM currency that we cover in the past two months and indeed is second only to the Turkish lira in year-to-date losses. Uh, the currency is now trading around record low levels versus the US dollar, in large part due to the, the country's devastating COVID situation, um, which has been recorded by far and away the, the worst COVID death ratio in the world. Uh, this week's razor-thin runoff election has also added to the uncertainty and damaged sentiment uh, towards the new soul. But over to you both, what do you make uh, of the Peruvian new soul? And do you think it is a buy, a sell or a hold opportunity? Uh, all right. So generally, when it comes to the Peruvian Lusol, I was quite surprised to see the extent of the sell-off that it has succumbed to in the past few months, because previously this has been one of the least volatile currencies, not only in Latin America, but uh, uh, if we compare the emerging market currencies. So so it's quite unusual for, for that. And it's actually the weakest it's been in history. So, uh, and I'm quite surprised because, uh, yes, we have this very crucial election where we have two forces. One is a uh, Keiko Fujimori, a liberal candidate, uh, who is basically uh, promoting a status quo and is favored by investors. And then we have a, a left-leaning candidate uh, who became known this year, a Pedro Castillo, who is a rural teacher who promises a uh, who is promising uh, redistribution basically in the country, uh, and 
Currently, he's the leading uh, after a, after 94.9% of ballots have been counted. Uh, so it's quite likely that he will uh, be the next uh, president in Peru. Uh, however, uh, I looking at the economic situation in Peru, uh, looking at how uh, solid are the country's fundamentals, uh, it doesn't matter at what, what are you looking at, the current account, the foreign exchange reserves, uh, or the debt to GDP, etc., all of this looks quite good. So I'm, even though uh, uh, this new president could be maybe leaning towards more a redistribution uh, in a country with, with uh, a very high level of inequality, uh, which could unnerve some investors, I don't see it unraveling into any you know potential spiral crisis or anything. I think that some such a stimulus that he might that the new president might provide could actually work well for. Peru, which has been devastated by COVID, uh, and uh, its economy has actually underperformed uh, the other regional economies. So I, I don't understand the extent of the reaction of investors, and I think that they are overreacting. So I would think that the Peruvian new soul at this point is a buy, uh, even even if the uh, Pedro Castillo, the uh, left-wing candidate, uh, wins the election. Okay, I'm slightly less... Uh optimistic and for the first time in a, when it comes to an emerging market currency that is heavily weighted towards commodities, I'm going to say hold. I mean, Castillo is a complete unknown. Um, I've been looking at his speeches. There's very little there that, that, that would indicate what kind of president is it going to be. Is he going to be, is going to govern from the left like Lula did in Brazil in the early 2000s, which ended up being a positive for, for the economy and the, the currency. Or is it going to be a Chavez, which, uh, well, <laughs> we don't know how that ended up for the, for the Venezuelan Bolivar. At this point, there's very little um, to go by. It's not clear which way it's going to go by. I think that the examples are clear, and anybody reasonable would choose the, the Lula way rather than the Chavista way. But uh, there's other currencies in the region where you're not, where, where you don't have this uncertainty. Uh, and whereas I would still not bet against Peruvian fundamentals, I would, in this case, wait until it's clear what program is going to be implemented by the incoming administration, and I would hold on the Peruvian uh, soul. Yeah, slightly more with Roman on this one. I think for me, I, I would have it as a buy. Um, I know there's political uncertainty uh, far from ideal, um, and certainly I'd probably be favouring other currencies uh, in the region ahead of the new soul. But I think, actually, if we look at the sell-off throughout most of this year, I think it has been mainly driven by the COVID situation in Peru, which, is, as we said, has been a very bad one. By far and away, um, has the worst COVID death ratio in the world. Um, I think, as we said before in this podcast, is I think the, the COVID health crisis, I think this presents largely a sort of short-term downside risk to individual currencies. I think once vaccines are rolled out to more of the population in South America, I think we should see the new new soul rebound as restrictions are, are unwound. Because as, as we mentioned, the fundamentals in Peru are very solid. Um, Central Bank, for instance, has ample foreign exchange reserves in order to protect the currency. And I think they'll continue to intervene in order to return the currency back to, to levels I think they'll deem more fair value. <laughs> And that's it from us. If you're keen to hear more about our thoughts on the FX market, 
Visit Ebury's website, follow us on social media. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast on your favourite podcast app. And let us know if there are any topics you would like to hear more on during upcoming episodes. Keep an eye out for our next episode in a fortnight's time. Thank you all very much for listening.